All right, well, good evening, everyone. All right, so we're going to be in the book of Galatians tonight, as Pastor Gina said. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. We're going to go to verse 15 this evening. Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15, in a study I'm calling the Statues of Liberty. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Lord, our salvation, Lord, and your grace that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the examples that you have given us through your word, Lord, of, of who you are, Lord, and how much you love us. Lord, I was struck by that, that video, Lord, and, and just thinking about the, the beginning of that passage, Lord, where it says that you love them to the end. And Lord, and, and, um, and Lord, thank you for that faithfulness, Lord, that you love us to the end. And Lord, you'll be faithful with us to the end. And that regardless, Lord, of, of where we are or, or how much we fail or, or how weak we are, Lord, you're able to... Lord, to love us and to carry us through it, Lord, and you're able to complete the work, Lord, that you have begun in us, Lord. And so, Lord, we know that tonight's just a small part of that work. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just um, work, Lord, through your, through your word and through your grace to sanctify us, Lord, to change us, to protect us from anything that would hinder, Lord, the ultimate um, work of grace, Lord, that you're going to accomplish through us. And so, Lord, minister to us in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we all know, the freedom that we have as an American is a great blessing, right? I mean, anytime I go to any other country and I come home, I just, I'm just so thankful the fact that I'm an American and, and God has given us such a great freedom and, and a great country. Now, this freedom that we have comes with a responsibility, and that responsibility is that we have to do our part in the preservation of freedom. Former President Ronald Reagan said this, it's a famous quote, he said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we'll spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. Now maybe you like me, when you think of preserving freedom, automatically you think of defending our nation from outside attacks by our military. And that's one way that, that God uses, right, to protect our freedom. I mean, and so we should pray for our military, pray for their families, and, and support them in, in their work to protect us. But also as Americans, we must also preserve our freedom from within by voting for leaders who hold to the traditional values established by our forefathers, the freedom that we have. For example, we shouldn't, we shouldn't vote for someone who's a Marxist, or an antinomian, which means they don't believe in law at all. Why? Well, because these philosophies give birth to communism and lawlessness, which is a lack of freedom and a lack of values that God has established and given us as Americans. Now, I point these things out not because I'm feeling extremely patriotic tonight. It's like, wow, what did Jake do? Lock himself and watch Fox News all day? No. <laughs> What's going on? No, I point these things out because Paul in our text writes to the Galatians who were in a similar situation. You see, they were free, but not talking just about national freedom, but talking about spiritual freedom in Christ. And so Paul's going to write to them here, and he's going to encourage them to stand fast in their liberty as a Christian. Now, as we're going to see, Paul's main focus is to encourage these believers to reject any philosophy or any teaching that would hinder their liberty that they have whether it be legalism or whether it be license. And so tonight, as we look at the statutes of liberty, 
We'll focus on the philosophies that you and I are to beware of and also reject if we're to remain free as Christians. And so we'll focus on two points. Number one, beware of legalism, which destroys your liberty as a Christian. And number two, beware of license, which also destroys your liberty as a Christian. So first of all, in verses 1 through 12, we're to beware of legalism, which destroys your liberty as a Christian. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now, the Korean War Memorial in Washington, D.C. has above its many names written, Freedom is not free. Now, this memorial serves as a reminder that those who, those who died for our country and, and you know, honoring freedom must be respected. It's, it's given in honor of those men who laid down their lives for freedom. But this memorial also serves as a reminder to all future generations who enjoy freedom to know that liberty comes with a great cost and it comes with a great responsibility. And the same is true when thinking about the fact that you and I are free in Christ. You see, this freedom was not free. God had to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross as a ransom for our sins. Jesus says, if there's any other way, then let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Christ had to pour out his blood on the cross in order to free us from the wages of sin and death, in order to free us from the weight and the burden of the law. And he did that for us. And it comes with a responsibility as we accept Christ. And that responsibility is we must stand fast in our liberty. We must be like the Statue of Liberty and be immovable. In other words, we're to abide in the Word and stand strong in the Word. And then when all who come from outside see us, they'll know, man, what we stand for and the blessing that we have in Christ. You know, you think of all the, the some millions of immigrants who came to this country from like, you know, was it 1870s into 1940. You know, and they all came, a lot of them came in through New York and there, you know, there was a statue of, you know, the Statue of Liberty and representing the freedom that we have and the hope of a new life. Well, in the same way, you and I, as we abide in grace, as we walk with the Lord, people see that and they see the new life that they can have in Christ and the blessing and the freedom that they can have in a relationship with God. Now, the Galatians, Paul was saying here, had a responsibility. And that was specifically that they were to remain free by not being entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now, Paul refers to the law here as a yoke of bondage. And Paul didn't coin this phrase. The other apostles used it as well. Listen to what Peter said in Acts 15, verses 10 through 11. He said, Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. That was coming from the Jerusalem Council when the apostles got together with Paul and these other Judaizers and they were discussing whether Gentiles needed to convert to Judaism and keep the law in order to be saved. And Peter himself stood up and said, no, we're not to put a yoke on the neck of the disciples. In other words, we're not to put them underneath the law because we couldn't keep the law. Why should we expect them to keep the law? But we believe that they're saved in the same manner as we by grace through faith alone in Jesus. And so Paul pulls from that here and says, listen, guys, you're not to go, you know, go to the works-based religion that you were saved from. You're not to turn to the law. You're not to put this yoke on you. But rather, we're to know that Christ broke that yoke. And now we receive a new yoke. And that yoke is the one that Christ gives us. When he said in Matthew 11, he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So just as, you know, the two oxen were yoked together, even so you and I are free, but yet we're free to be yoked to Christ, to walk through this life with him. We don't have to bear it on our own, which is nice, right? We don't have to walk by ourselves. The Lord is with us as he, as he leads us, as he's our yoke fellow walking with us. Verse two, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, what would it say to the many men and women who have died for, our, for the cause of freedom if our nation just all of a sudden turned and elected a communist dictator? I mean, what, what would that say? Well, in the same way, this is what Paul, I, I think what Paul is saying here. As these people were seeking to turn from the grace of God and the gospel of grace and all that Christ did to the law. Paul says, you're making Christ profit you nothing. You're saying that Christ is profitless. Now, to once believe that you were justified by faith in Christ and now think that you need to add works in order to be justified before God is really a slap in the face to Christ. These believers were thinking that they needed to become a proselyte to Judaism. And Paul said, that makes Christ profitless. Not only that, but trusting in your own works is profitless because the blessings of God only come upon those who are in Christ. And the only way that you can be in Christ is by grace through faith alone. God doesn't save by works. God saves by grace. That's what the gospel is about. And we have that illustrated all the way back in after the Garden of Eden with Cain and Abel. There Cain tried to bring the works of his hands and God could not receive it. He didn't respect it. But Abel brought the sacrifice, the lamb, by faith and God received that. And the writer of Hebrews takes that up in chapter 11 and says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then he gives all these different examples of, of those who approach God by faith. And so as we walk with Christ by faith, we're blessed. Christ, Christ profits us in the sense that we're blessed through our faith. But yet if we seek to come to God any other way, Christ is no profit to us. We can't be blessed. These false teachers were promising the blessings of God by being circumcised and by coming to God by works. But Paul said that those checks that they're writing are going to bounce. <laughs> they're going to bounce. They're not going to work. I don't know why, but I thought of that line from Top Gun. Your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. You know, the, the <laughs> CAG, you know, the CAG told them that kind of thing. You know, it's not going to work out for them. That's my childhood. I'm sorry. <laughs> Verse three, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. So Paul gives these guys a reminder that he says, basically, you get what you pay for or be careful what you ask for. So this passage reminds us of what happened to the Israelites there in 1 Samuel. Remember when they wanted a king and they came to Samuel and said, hey, we want a king, we want a king. And, and Samuel said, Lord, what's going on with these people? And the Lord said, give them a king, tell them what's going to happen if they want a king. He said, okay, well, hey, if you guys want a king, this is exactly what's going to happen. And the people said, that's bad, but okay, we still want a king. And so, you know, and so even so, that's what, what was going on in Galatia. Paul says, listen, guys, if you take this route, if you go this way, this is what's going to happen. If you abandon your liberty in Christ and seek righteousness through the law, you are required to keep the whole law. This means you can't pick and choose which laws you want to keep. I want to eat this kind of food, but I don't want to eat that kind of food. I want to follow these laws, but I don't want to keep that law. I want to keep the Sabbath day because I think the Sabbath day is holy, but I don't want to have to go to Jerusalem three times a year for Pentecost, Passover, 
and tabernacles. I don't have to do that. I don't have to sacrifice animals. Oh, wait, there's no temple. I can't sacrifice animals. What do I do now? <laughs> kind of thing. You know, you have to keep the whole law. The year of Jubilee, every single, all the 613 commandments of the law, Paul says, you must keep the entire law from Exodus chapter 20 all the way into the end of Deuteronomy. So start reading and start keeping them. And so that's what, what Paul's saying. Also, a person who seeks to be put under the law is a debtor to keep the whole law. Paul is addressing the impossibility of being made righteous by the law. You see, in order to be made righteous by the law, you must continually keep all the laws perfectly. Any failure brings the sin and curse of the law, which is death. And so we've all broken the law. Just think of the Ten Commandments. We've all broken one of the Ten Commandments. So if you've broken the one ten, ten Commandments, you're already in trouble. You've already broke the law. I'm going to start over. Well, then you break it tomorrow. And so it's, it's a hopeless situation. The law is to point out sin. It, it declares us guilty before God. Verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Here's another bad result of seeking to be justified by law. It estranges you from Christ. Put another way, Paul says, you fall away from grace. Now, often at first reading of this passage, we think loss of salvation. We think, is Paul saying that these guys have lost their salvation? I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. I don't see any text really in the Bible that clearly supports that a person who's born again can be unborn again. Or a person who's declared righteous by God is then undeclared righteous by God, saying, nope. Yeah, right, you're not. Now, you know, I, we, we don't see that in the scriptures. Now, I mean, we do see people who, you know, claim that they're believers, but yet maybe we're never saved, um, but yet we're not given anybody who's born again who becomes unborn again. So what's Paul talking about? I believe Paul is saying that they were hindering the blessings of God in their lives and their own spiritual growth through seeking the law. That's what was gone. They were hindering the blessings of God and they were hindering their own spiritual growth. They were hindering the source of sanctification for the Christian life. You see, we grow through grace by abiding in Christ. But seeking to turn from Christ to the law cuts off that source from our life. Because the basis by which we're saved is grace. The basis by which we stand is grace. The the basis by which we grow and maintain our salvation is God's grace. And so if we seek to be standing in some other way or seek to be sanctified in some other way, we're cutting off that source. And Paul says, you're not doing very good. You know, you, you've cut off that source. You, you become estranged in Christ and you're falling away from grace. The Bible clearly teaches that we're saved by grace and we stand in grace until God is done with us. Romans 5, 1-2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul says, hey, we're saved by grace, by faith alone, and we stand in God's grace. We rest in that fact and we rejoice. We're, we're excited, we're happy because we know with a surety that one day we're gonna stand before the Lord, not by our works, but by God's grace. Verse seven, you ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? So once again, Paul uses that, that running analogy. I, w- I wonder if Paul was a runner. We don't know. We do know that he was a hiker, 
man, that guy would, he would walk some, some miles as, you know, at, traveling different places. So Paul draws this running analogy again. Paul draws their attention to the race and says, listen, guys, you, by turning away from Christ to the law, you are basically having a person hinder you in your race. They're putting weights on your feet so you can't run fast. I don't know why, but I think of these false teachers as those sand people in Star Wars 1 who try to shoot the pod racers. You know, you know trying to, you know, as I, um, sorry, <laughs> I have kids. And so, and so, you know, they were trying to hinder the race, you know, the, the race that they were on. They were, they were trying to take them out. You know, this is what I think about working for the government all day at work. It's probably why I wreck, it's probably why I wreck vehicles, you know, government vehicles. I'm thinking about this. So, so anywho, so yeah, I mean, here's these guys, you know, they're, they're running the race and then they, you know, they come encounter with these false teachers and these, you know, and these guys start teaching them this legalism and Paul says, man, you guys are running so well. You guys were doing good, man. You guys had a good start. You guys were running great. Then all of a sudden you started to slow down. You started to bog down. And what happened to you? Verse eight, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. So this teaching did not come from God. Paul clearly says that here. It didn't come from the Lord who called them in his grace to save them, but this teaching they are embracing was an evil persuasion. So, you know, we need to be careful of this because legalism is a persuasion. It's an evil persuasion. It seems so righteous. It seems so good. We think, yeah, I mean, I'll be more holy if I just do that, keep these rules, these regulations, set up all these different rules and principles, this checklist, and I'll be good. But Paul says, really, what it does is it pulls you away from Christ. Our flesh likes it, because we can kind of just go into cruise control, kind of zone out as we go through the motions and then we feel righteous, but in reality, our heart is distant from the Lord. Verse nine, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Jesus called the legalistic teachings of the scribes and Pharisees in the gospels, the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees. Even so, Paul said that the Judaizers, man, they were shopping on the same aisle. They're, they're picking up the same yeast, you know, kind of thing. They're, oh, this is the good stuff right here. You know, they were, they were picking that up and, and they, were, they were putting that stuff in their bread as well. They were, and this, this leaven was seeking to go through the whole church. I can't help but thinking about maybe this false teaching started maybe with one or two believers who got kind of hooked on it, who came in contact with these false teachers Maybe they wanted to re- rediscover their roots in Judaism or something, you know, so they, they went out and they sought these guys out and they got in touch with them. And then all of a sudden they went and they began sharing it with their friends, maybe at a home fellowship or something, eating over and they think, oh yeah, that's good stuff. And, you know, then they start spreading. And all of a sudden now it's spreading to the entire church. Sadly, false teaching does that. And we as believers, we have a responsibility and going back to our analogy of protecting our freedom within, you know, we need to use maturity as a Christian. If someone's is teaching falsely, as we're going to learn in chapter 6, then we who are spiritual must restore that person. And the spirit of gentleness say, hey, no, man, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's, you know, here's what the word says, kind of thing. Nip it in the bud, kind of thing, before it spreads. And that's what was going on. It was spreading. It was leavening the whole lump, and it was killing the growth and the effectiveness of this vibrant church that was established. Verse 10, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment whoever he is. So Paul had confidence in two things. And here they are. Number one, first he had confidence in the Galatians in the Lord. In other words, because they were children of God, he knew that the Lord would keep them in his truth. 
The Lord, the Spirit, will lead us into all truth. And Paul was confident of that. He was, he was confident that the fact that, yes, he loved them, but they were God's children. And God chastens those whom he loves. He teaches his own, and he will lead them in the truth. But second, Paul was sure that those, whoever they were, would bear the judgment of God for preaching this false message. That's serious stuff. You see, the Jesus they preached was probably the same Jesus that Paul was preaching. What they were doing was they were adding works to the gospel. And Paul says, these guys are going to go under the judgment of God. And that's what he re- refers to in chapter 1, verse 6. He, was, he called their gospel a different gospel, which is not another. And so it was a gospel that was made up by works because it wasn't abiding in grace. Verse 11, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcised, why, uh, circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. And so the Judaizers claimed that Paul was still seeking... Uh, t- teaching circumcision, that it was essential as he did when he was a Pharisee. They said, oh yeah, Paul, we know he does. Right now, he wasn't teaching it to you guys because he wanted to kind of win, win you guys over. He wanted to kind of itch your ears a little bit. But when he was with the Jews, I know for a fact he teaches that you know, circumcision is, is essential for salvation. Paul says, that's not true. He calls him brother. And he says, listen, guys, you know me. That's not true. And, and if this is so, why am I still being persecuted? by the Jews, because he wasn't. He was teaching salvation was by grace through faith alone, and this made the Jews very angry. And Paul was, was suffering. He was stoned you know, for preaching that salvation was by grace through faith in the area of Galatia, where these, where these folks were living, probably in the, in the southern area. Verse 12, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. So I think Paul used a little sarcasm here in this verse. You see, the Judaizers thought that they were righteous because they were cutting away the flesh in circumcision. Paul says, since they wish, that, you know, since they believe that they're spiritual by this, Paul said, I wish they would just go all out and just castrate themselves. That's what Paul is saying here. You know, so Paul's serious about this kind of thing. Let's move on. <laughs> now, before we move on, let me just summarize this, this warning here. Because Paul uses a lot of different analogies and arguments to communicate one truth. And I love Paul, man. When he gets on it, he's, he's on it. He's like, let me give you like 500 analogies why you should not turn to the law. You know? And so here, here's basically what Paul says here in a nutshell. Paul says, just as, um, just as communism has many sad effects on um, formerly free countries, even so legalism has many horrible and sad effects on those who embrace it. Here they are. Legalism brings the believer into bondage. It makes Christ profitless. It makes us a debtor to keep the whole law perfectly. It severs us from Christ and his grace. It hinders us in our races that God has called us to run. It is an evil persuasion. It is a corruption that spreads like leaven. And those who preach his message are going to be judged by God. So I think Paul's very clear. He says, don't do it. Don't do it. Turn away from it. Now, now we come to our second point in verses 13 through 15. We're to beware of license, which destroys our liberty in Christ. So the question now arises, wait, okay, so if we're not under law, if we're free, does that mean that we can just do whatever we want? That's good stuff, right? It, are we just, are we antinomian, which is no law? We, we just do whatever we want. We make up truth and, you know, we, we kind of live what we think is right. Your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, just as long as we have Jesus. Well, the answer is no, as we'll see, but we're under the law of love. Look at verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. 
Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so the believer, it was not saved in order to serve the flesh. In other, in other words, you weren't served to save your old desires, your old sinful desires, but you were saved and freed in order to love God and love others. Listen to what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 16 through 17. He says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. So we as believers are not to use our freedom in Christ as an excuse to just go out and try to do whatever we want. But rather, we're to recognize that we're bondservants of Christ. And so the apostle Peter recognized that he was a bondservant of Christ. A bondservant, as most of you know, who from the Old Testament, you know, from the book of Exodus, know that a bondservant was a person who after six years, they were freed to go. But they could choose because, you know, if they got married while they were a bondservant, if they had children while they were a bondservant, when they left, the children and their wife belonged to the master. And if after the six years, they, they look back and think, wow, I, I got married here, I have children here, and my master provides for me, they can choose to then be indebted to that master for life. And they would go and he would pierce their ear with, with an awe at, at the doorpost, and they would serve that master for life. And that's what Peter is talking about here. He's referring back to that Old Testament example. He says, you have been set free by Christ. You're free. But yet we as believers look at Christ and we think, because, he, you know, because he's a good master, because he loves us, because he's, he's given us so much, we then surrender our life to him, to serve him, to walk with him. And that service comes out of love. It, it comes out of uh, surrendering our lives and our desires and our will to him. We as servants seek to follow the will and the word of the Lord. So yes, we're not under the law of Moses anymore, as seen in the previous verses, but we're also not lawless. We're now under, under grace, and we're under the law of Christ. So what is the law of Christ? What are we under as Christians? Well, we're under what the Bible teaches in the New Testament. That's our authority, right? The church has been built by the apostles and the prophets. But also there are principles in the Old Testament that we still follow and keep. Why? Is it because we're under the law? No, but because God has a moral law which runs throughout the entire Old Testament. Before the law, it was wrong to murder. Before the law, homosexuality was wrong. Before the law, stealing was wrong. All these things, they were wrong from the very beginning. Why? Because God is a moral God and his moral law is based upon his moral unchanging character. And so in every dispensation or whatever you want to call it, age, you know, God's moral law has been seen, whether in, during the life of Abraham or during the law, and even now um, in the New Testament. And so, um, you know, so we followed the teachings of the apostles and the prophets given in the New Testament. Now, which Old Testament laws do we keep? Well, we keep those which are reiterated by the apostles in the New Testament. For example, nine of the Ten Commandments are reiterated by the apostles in the New Testament books. The only one that's left out is the Sabbath command. The church is not under the Sabbath day because the Sabbath was a sign for the, uh, for the conditional covenant that God made with Israel in the Old Testament. And since the law has been rendered null and void by Christ's death on the cross, we're no longer therefore have to keep the Sabbath day. And plus Christ fulfilled the law. He fulfilled that shadow, that type of the Sabbath. We have our rest in the Lord as we abide in him 
as we rest in him. But nine of the other ones are reiterated by the apostles. And so God's moral law has been established and it is reiterated in the New Testament. And so, yes, we can read the Old Testament and still get application and still, you know, and, and still be ministered to by the Lord as we see God's holiness. But how we operate in our authority as Christians comes from the apostles in, in the New Testament. Now, when the Bible doesn't speak specifically about something, say a particular behavior or a truth, and then we fall back to the law of love. And the law of love is, is what governs us. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love is to govern how we operate and act as Christians. As believers, as we walk with Christ, God will fill us with his love and he'll give us the ability to love others. That's what John says. If you don't love others, well, then you don't know God because God's love. And, but if you do know God, well, then you'll love others. Well, there's a great truth to that that should go alongside of that. Paul says, as we love others, we fulfill the law. And so when we become a Christian, God gives us love for others. And as we love others, we fulfill the law. We, we do through Christ what we can never do apart from Christ by the fact that we're walking in the Spirit and we're just doing what the Lord has put before us. We don't try to do it. The Lord just works it through us naturally as we abide in him, as the branch abides in the vine. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So just as the believer must stand fast in the liberty of God and not fall into legalism, which leads to bondage, even so, we're not to give ourselves over to sin, which also leads to bondage. Sin leads to quarreling and division, which has a negative effect on the believer and also the body of Christ. And so like the Lord told Joshua, hey, don't depart to the right hand or to the left, but abide in my word. Do all that I tell you to do. And in doing so, you'll prosper and have good success. So in closing, the believer, the believer is free by faith in Jesus Christ, but we're not to move to the right hand or to the left. Rather, we're to abide in grace so we can continue to enjoy the life, liberty, and joy that God has promised for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Amen?